Hello, and welcome to the second installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where two cinephiles do a deeper dive into trailers, movies, and TV shows. In today's episode, we'll be taking a look at Chapter 10, a.k.a. Season 2, Episode 2 of The Mandalorian, The Passenger. Yes, in reference to The Frog. It is. <laughs> unknown unknown name. <laughs> I thought immediately after I saw that title that it was going to carry heavier significance. I was like, oh, somebody that popped up at the end of last week's episode hopped on board the ship. No. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, the title, the anticipation, it all kind of lets you down a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. A little bit. It's still, I mean, it's still Favreau. It's still Filoni. Still a good episode. But yeah, let's get into the get into the plot. So obviously it opens up on Tatooine. He's speeding back to Moss Eisley. So it, it's a direct line uh, timeline from episode one. And a trap's being set up by either bounty hunters or just scavengers uh, of Tatooine. Not exactly sure. Um who may or may not be looking for the child, but essentially ends up with uh, a classic speeder bike trick of pulling a rope <laughs> up to trip him up. And then he ends up in a negotiation with the bandits who has a knife to the child's throat. It basically trades the jetpack and then immediately gets the jetpack back. So uh, any thoughts on this scene? The very smart jetpack that's clearly app powered. Fantastic. Um, it's smartwatch compatible. Yep. It is, yeah. So it de- definitely MagSafe because it looks <laughs> like it attaches that way to it. <laughs> I didn't like this scene. I got my hopes up so much that it was going to be like Boba's crew or he was going to save him from the this crew. I mean, why show us Boba Fett's face as the end of episode one, season two, and then not have him be included in this? It just feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah, so I think at the so at the end of last week's episode, I said, you know, I think my prediction was like, oh, we're gonna get a, a confrontation with Boba really soon because yeah. he just kind of like laid the cards on the table there. I, I was I was also disappointed that that didn't come into fruition. I enjoyed the action scene for what it was. I always enjoy that kind of thing, but uh, yeah, I feel like it was a case of like, I don't know, like I I guess uh, playing with our expectations a little bit. I did like the fact that this seemed like one of those things where, and you know, I, I, I am, and there might be too much into this, right. But like, I feel like, but to see uh regular bandits just kind of take advantage of him real quick and maybe kind of gain the upper hand just, just for a little bit was kind of interesting to see. Cause I didn't think it would be one of those things that they would, I, you know, you wouldn't think that a group of folks like that would be able to, you know, take advantage of him in that way. Yeah, this is where you and I kind of take a different understanding of the scene. You're saying bandits. I think it's bounty hunters um, just because they make a reference to the child. And there's definitely is room for not knowing and confusion in this um, because they never really claimed or had any dialogue as to who they are um, other than saying get the child. But that could have just been like secure all living beings here. Um but either way, he's never safe enough to stop looking over his shoulder, whether it's bounty hunters or if it's just people looking to make a quick score in the galaxy. I mean, he made right. a reference later on in the episode about like warlords or bandits 
looking to catch people who are traveling at sub light speed. Um, it just goes to speak to like how, you know, how much of a skeptic he is about the world. Yeah, I I took it to mean they're bandits only because of one thing. I feel like at the end of the last season, he thinks he killed Moff Gideon because I don't think you ever see either him. I, I don't know. I, I didn't really see an indication that he would think he didn't finish him off at that point. Yeah, and that is a fair point. Um, So it, we'll look to see if this happens on other planets. If he starts seeing a trend, that might be it too, where he thinks this is just scavengers right now so he's not worried which could give us room to going back to navarro right because right now there's not really a reason to go back there so that could that could potentially be it yeah this um, might have been the first confrontation he's had in a while so it kind of dismisses it maybe yeah he basically then just has to pull his best moses impersonation and walk back to tattooing <laughs> the desert uh with all that art with all of his armor on him and then carrying boba fett's armor plus other Plus the meat. He can't leave the dragon meat behind. Um, so he immediately goes to the canteen uh, where we get to see Peli Moto playing Sabat with an ant. Uh, actually, a couple cool callbacks here. First thing I noticed was the first time we ever saw Peli, she was playing Sabat, but with her like repair droids. I, I took a look back to, to chapter five to see a few things. And Another like ironic or maybe coincidental thing is that he the repairs that he paid her for his ship were also 500 credits. So interesting that the bet was also $500. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that probably has no significance in here at all. And then another cool call out is that the this episode was directed by Peyton Reed, who is the director of the Ant-Man series. So cool to see like he put an ant creature in the bar playing Sabat with her. Yeah, I'm trying to recall because they always like to t- throw in the the cantina aliens every time mm-hmm. that we're in in Mos Eisley. I'm trying to remember if there was an ant alien back in the New Hope that this could be the same species kind of thing, but I don't. I'm, I'm not recalling one off the top of my head. I think they've always taken like, the liberty to just you know create weirder and bolder aliens in the canteen. So I think there is. I think there's very you know strong reasoning that he he took the liberty to put yeah. an ant in there <laughs> i don't know about the scene it, to me it's just it's a little too easy that he runs into people who know exactly <laughs> the info that he needs like w- out of everyone he could have run into at moss eisley he never even needed to leave moss eisley <laughs> to, to find more information about the man does um what, what, what are you thinking yeah it, it felt like um and I, and I think I you know I touched on it in the last episode, but like I feel like this is this kind of feels like it has the feel of a video game. Like yeah. you're going through different side quests to kind of complete things. I like the world building aspects of this show. I think they do it so well. So I'm not entirely like too bothered by it. But yeah, it, it is a bit too convenient that he runs from point A to point B and so on. That that said, I, I enjoyed the, the interactions he's had with with Pelly at this point. So I'm always I'm always glad to kind of see her character pop up again. But you're liking them. I'm liking the <laughs> moment. She is too much, man. She's no, too much to handle. <laughs> <laughs> I th- well, I think that there's 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 a couple things. So one, I don't think we've seen anything like her in the past. So I'm not too bothered by. I guess like uh, having too much of that here because I, I just feel like it's not, I don't know. To me, it doesn't seem as intrusive as it might seem to, to others. I don't, 
I feel like they kind of play it off so well, only because he's very like monotone. I, I guess, or I'm not sure quite a, how to kind of put it. He's but... very serious, and she's yeah. very funny. She's the flip side to him, I think, in several ways. I think, like I said before, he's very skeptical and right. sees the dark nature of the world, and she's like, "I have a good judging character. I met this. I met this frog lady a minute ago, but I know she's a good person, and I know um, she's trustworthy." I think she's the flip side. She's trusting. He's skeptical. He's serious. She's funny. I think that's like a, a good, a good addition to his crew. Yeah. Unquote. And I think the, the humor that she kind of brings to the show is balanced because of the fact that he doesn't really entertain it all that much. You get what I mean? It, 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 mm-hmm. He almost acts like a foil to, to her. So in a way, I feel like there's some sort of balance there that, you know, I'm fine with. Um, it doesn't quite bother me as much. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with it too. Um, but then he basically takes on this new mission. If we're playing the video game, new mission unlocked. Um, to take the frog woman to her new to her new planet Trask, uh, to rendezvous with her husband to fertilize their eggs. Basically, it's a timely quest that we see a little bit later on. That there's like a timer on the jug that she's carrying. The, the bubble tea. <laughs> um, but the main the main part of the ask is to travel at sublight speed, which um, we've heard before. Um, it's the it's basically just not traveling at light speed, which takes a lot longer to travel. Uh, we saw this in the episode six, I think, when Han and Leia have to go to Bespin, right? Yeah. And it takes them so long to get there. That's how Luke was able to get to Dagobah and then to um, to Bespin in the in the relatively the same amount of time. As soon as they take off, the Razor Crest has its interaction with the X Wings, as we saw in the trailer. The whole "Force be with you" line is there. I feel like a lot of people are taking this differently than how you and I took it. Um, a lot of people are thinking that's like he's now a believer because he's been around. Uh, baby Yoda, the child for so long, and he's like seeing the force and understanding the force. I think it's just he knows how to smooth talk his way through the galaxy. Right. Right. I don't I don't think and I feel like you we probably would have gotten less of a confused reaction when they talk about like, oh, the sorcerers that can move stuff with their minds and stuff. Like I don't think he necessarily knows that that's what the force is. Yeah. But rather, you know, he yeah, like you said, he's he's playing off of these uh, these two characters that he comes into interaction with. One of which being Filoni, um, again, making another appearance from chapter six, where it was the prison break episode. So we get to see one of the directors again. Obviously, we talk a lot about Filoni on this podcast um, because of his involvement in, in directing the storyline, but then also in Clone Wars and, and a lot of the other Star Wars lore. Um. And then he gets he basically gets chased down into the ice planet. Also seen from the trailer, we thought it was Ilum, which was Starkiller Base. Uh, also featured in Clone Wars, the cartoon series where Jedi would get their crystals. Boy, were we wrong on that. Um, I mean, I guess it technically could still be because we didn't see a lot of the planet. But there would have been some sort of either Imperial or First Order presence there at this timeline if they were building that into a into star killer base um which we just don't see so 
probably something else within the series. I don't really know if it has any significance, and it doesn't seem like it really matters since they left it by the end of the episode. Yeah, I don't. I, I think this is one of those where I feel like a lot of the assumptions I took away from the trailer are coming to, to turn out to be false, um, which I don't necessarily mind. I, I, I do think that it would have been nice to kind of use this episode as a way to kind of flesh out the, the story a little bit more and kind of give us a little bit more of a, gui- a guiding sense of seeing Ilum would have been great too. Um, but I think at the, for me, the, this, the whole interaction in, in space as he's taking the uh, frog lady <laughs> over to the, the planet he's heading into, it, it did a lot of world building um, in ways that I don't think we've seen before. Like, I don't think we've ever seen anybody get uh, essentially the equivalent of a traffic stop in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> yeah. It's what they've been boiled down to. They're essentially just intergalactic police. It seemed like a kind of boring role. Like, they answer the call to protect the transport. They are flagging down ships that are not sending out be- beacons. It's kind of a boring role now. Well, they're on the lookout for Imperial remnants, according to them, right? I feel, I feel like there's like a line or, or two there about that. Yeah, I mean, you're it, searching space for that. That's endless amount of, of room to check. <laughs> yeah, it's. It, I, I do like that we're getting into those, um, like the, the the hints and dimensions of the New Republic, and, and you know what's what's kind of going on with them uh, on their on that end. It, it's it's definitely. Um, I, I appreciate those moments where they can put them in because it just kind of adds a little bit more to it. At the same time, I always feel like there's always a, a concern of making it a little too real world. You know, I hate to bring it up again, but like it, I always kind of refer to the scene on the casino planet in The Last Jedi. Yeah. It kind of brings back to that. It's like if there's that level of um, almost like an uncomfortable way too um close to reality kind of thing to that kind of takes you out for a minute and i feel like when you have these moments you either balance them really well or it becomes that and it kind of takes you out a little bit and i think this one came close to doing that but not didn't quite push it to that extreme but you're okay with boxing gamorians from our real world yes (laughs) okay just gotta draw the line (laughs) understand um but i will say though that the the chase between the X-Wings and the Razor Crest actually got me to sit up a little bit and pay attention um, because he's flying a ship that has no offensive capabilities against two X-Wings. So as soon as they lock into attack formation, you know it's like he's going to have to pull off some amazing maneuvers here. Um, and we've seen the Razor Crest fall apart pretty much every time it approaches a planet. <laughs> so it did get me to pay attention more. It was like cinematically very stunning to see what they're pulling off it was and i think um you know i i I think as i was giving it my second view i i had shot you a quick text earlier but i said i think they kind of seen the x-wings almost seem like miniatures in some shots and then there's other shots where it seems like it's uh it's full cg and Mm -hmm. so it kind of i always like when they use miniatures and in on the show yeah uh, only because it, it kind of ties it back to it's a, a nice little blend of like the prequel tech that uh was used to shoot those films and also the original trilogy where you had a ton yeah exactly and i also really like the inside of the cockpit it's basically the exact same we see when they're in the trenches of the death star 
um, these two-dimensional models with like two screens. I, I don't know. I just like that feel and that that look. And then when we get into, you know, episodes, uh, the Force Awakens, that that trilogy, it, it starts to look a little too new. Um, which I guess makes sense because they are buying their ships in the black arms market, <laughs> as we learned in Last Jedi. So I, right. I like the the OG feel of the X wings in this. Um, but yeah, so we're maybe digressing a little too much. Basically, we we end up with him being crashed. Um, he's not certain if he wants to continue the mission, and then she kind of like the frog lady, kind of like guilt trips him into <laughs> completing the job um, by saying like, oh, I heard Mandalorians are true to their word, but I guess that's just a child's story. And it's like, okay, lady, like, can you see that our ship is torn in half and that we're like <laughs> being hunted down by X-Wings because we can't travel at light speed? Like, own some of this for yourself, too. <laughs> Check yourself, frog lady. <laughs> but, um, she, yeah, then he's like, okay, fine, I'll fix the ship we'll we'll get out of here and she like trots off off to take a bath like what are you doing like <laughs> pitch in <laughs> so that was a really weird scene <laughs> i thought it was leading to like oh no something killed her and now her eggs are left or but she was like i'll find my own way there like no right. she just went to take a bath yeah she literally found a hot spring <laughs> didn't even tell anyone she just like went in there for herself <laughs> i that that was kind of odd. <laughs> I mean, I, it was funny, and I, and I think a lot of this episode was funny, right? But like, um, you know, as, as it was directed by Peyton Reed, and he's got all these like little like uh, ticks to a lot of the things that he does. It, it like kind of aligns with the type of humor that he puts into his work. Yeah. So it makes sense uh, in retrospect. Uh, it just kind of struck me as a little bit of an odd choice to go with that. Um. Either way, though, it gets the job done, right? Because like the next segment was like the the uh, whole little session with uh, the child and his obsession with the eggs, which I, I think we should probably touch on a little bit. But it's just... yeah, is he like malnourished or like why is he like devouring these eggs? And then when he's like told no, then he like moves on to eat spider eggs. Like, is he not getting fed enough? <laughs> Clearly not. I mean, like. <laughs> he it's but we've we've had that right before like in season one he would he ate the frogs on uh on right the, i forget which planet we were on there but I, th I think it was the one with uh with, with quill no um, it was it was um protecting the fishing village i think that was episode was four it? he's eaten a lot of things though <laughs> oh he made a he may have eaten one on quill's planet but i know for sure he like ate a frog in front of the children on the fishing village when they were like going through that training montage that that's that's this thing though like i feel like um it's kind of like baby yoda's go-to or the child's go-to um trope there well there um, is an interesting connection here sorry for cutting yeah. you off um no. the like when he's on the ship at night when mando's about to say like i don't think we can complete this mission you see Baby Yoda, like, ignoring his dinner plate and looking at the eggs. And that's basically a parallel to Empire Strikes Back, where Yoda is like, this food, this boxed food that you have is disgusting. Come <laughs> eat some soup in my house, which turns out to be, like, other disgusting food. Um, so it, it's on par for, I guess, his species, we'll call it. Um, 
to ignore like clean cut cooked food he'd rather eat like stuff out of a swamp yeah because i guess they're like swamp creatures like i would assume it it's so i feel like this episode kind of touched on the whole father son angle of these things yeah and the importance of paternal examples and all that because just as i feel like there was that one that that scene that you mentioned where she guilt trips him into into you know completing the task he takes a look at at the child and the child just kind of takes a look at him it's almost like this little nod of like oh well what are you going to do you know and it's like this whole i feel like this whole series has these little moments where they make the point of like oh you have this kid you're technically raising him you have to set the example kind of thing yeah and there were some other like going off of that there were some other moments that caught my eye too where it was like when mando's fixing this ship the second time after being saved by the x-wing pilots yoda like or the child is like watching him repair the ship and do whatever he can to get them going again and you can like i know it's an animatronic but you can kind of see behind his eyes of like wonder and like amazement of like this guy like wow this guy is like doing everything for us um and i think yoda like the child is smarter than portrayed i think being 50 years old yes it's it's a baby in his species but that's probably still enough to be like observant and understanding yeah we don't know any of the like ultimately like if it's are they infants until like 50 60 years old and then they start aging progressively more or is it like their minds are sharp and they're just like physically not caught up or something like that Yeah. yeah we don't know anything about it i would tend to think they're spiritually inclined somehow or like very connected to the force in some way that maybe like unlocks some sort of more deeper understanding that way uh it could be it could they could they could be making the case for it. this is only like the third of yoda species that we see um in the in 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 the franchise so who knows that door is like yeah. wide open right now yeah but we uh we we've mentioned it before the the spider stuff came up um this is this has like a deep tie to a lot of lore and canon in the Star Wars realm. Um, it's basically was in like it's been these these spiders have been featured a lot. They were they were original designs for the original trilogy um, that weren't used, and they were thrown into the video games where Luke had to train and he had to fight some of them off. Um, it was in canon. It was in the book the Dark Saber which is also where the crate Dragon Pearl is mentioned. Um, and also Darksaber being a major, or I guess a minor plot point in Mandalorian. So it seems like they're doing their deep dives. They recycle a lot of Ralph McQuarrie's, who, I guess for those not in the know, Ralph McQuarrie is the, was the concept artist that George Lucas went to when he was trying to pitch Star Wars. So a lot of the concepts that you see and a lot of designs that ultimately ended up being Vader and all that was were painted by Ralph McQuarrie. But he did a whole bunch of things for not just the original trilogy, but also the prequels that a lot of times were never really used. And now like they like to pull from that art and put it back in, um, in into the franchise. And I think those spiders were part of some like concept for, for Dagobah, if, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they were, and then that's why they're featured in 
the video games when Luke is training in Dagobah, he has to like fight some of them off. So um, it's cool callbacks. It's like it's basically the idea of not having to reinvent the wheel. You know, if there's already been cool concept art that got shelved, why not break it out? Like there's a reason. Right. I mean, there is a reason why it didn't get used, but it's not because it's lame. It's because it was they had so much already. Yeah, there's a lot of that in in and I think it all stems from from George because anytime you take a look at stuff that Dave Filoni does, you get a lot more of that versus, you know, you don't see any of that in the sequel trilogy. There's barely any of the recognizable aliens there. But anytime anybody who's worked with George, um, like like Dave Filoni, who got a chance to work with him for I think over seven years together, um, you get a lot of these callbacks. So it's really nice because it, it just reminds you that you're still within this world and kind of keeps you within the confines of it. Yeah. And then another um, interesting thing to, you know, keep your eye on is Mando using his fire. He's like his flamethrower ability. Um, he's used it in every single episode except for chapter five, uh, which was the first time that he was in Tatooine. So it's interesting that like that's his go to weapon. Um, and we saw we've seen that with Django and with Boba using that a lot, too. Yeah, I think Mando does the same thing that I do in any game that i'm playing it's like you get familiar with one weapon and you're like all right well i'm just going to use this every single time i can't yeah cause it does it, it's damage. got the it's got the fastest re um like reload and refresh <laughs> ability so you just keep that one on deck <laughs> um but yeah so they fight their way back to the razor crest and then have to fight to get the razor crest cockpit door shut um and you see the frog lady save uh, the child while Mando's trying to shut the door. Um, so you know that he's like, I, I think what that's trying to show is like his good karma gets paid off um, from his, from like the guilt trip originally where it's like, I thought you guys always tried to do like, like hold up your promises and, and do all that. Um, so I think by holding up your promises, he's like building up karma points and redeeming it immediately to um, build up that trust. And then also, redeem some with the rebel pilots who come to save it um who take out all the other spiders i kind of felt like this was another missed opportunity um and maybe it was just me holding on to boba fett <laughs> but <laughs> the passenger like you said it could have been something where it was like a lot of people will take it as the obvious like the frog is the passenger but then it could have been like a nice twist to be like boba stored himself onto the ship before they took off and then he was there, like, shooting the rest of the spiders and saved them. Um, and maybe that was me, just me, like, holding on to Boba and I just need to let it go. But it, it kind of felt like a little bit of waste. I mean, I like what they did where they had the rebel pilots, like, basically clear, his, clear Mando's name because he's, again, doing good karma things. He's, like, helped catch, catch fugitives and he's helped um, protect some rebel guards um, in the past. So they were, like... You know, we should arrest you, but we'll let you go with a slap on the wrist. They just don't want to file a paperwork. That's it's what honestly it a paperwork thing. thing. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I don't blame them. I'd be like, you know what, bro, just go. So that whole couple things on those, on those two things. So um, I also think I really thought the passenger was going to be Boba. And maybe that's, the, that's like the, the follow up. That's next week's episode. The stowaway, I guess that's what they would call it. <laughs> He's still on there. He was like hiding from the spiders too. Yeah, God knows how, but he he'd be on there. Um, 
I, I do think it's a missed opportunity. I, I, I think um, they kind of, it's, it's a little anticlimactic. I still can't let it go either, but I do, I guess after this episode, I, I got to kind of like readjust my thinking and, and, and think that the Boba payoff is actually not going to come through for a couple more episodes, um, which I don't, you know, necessarily think it's a bad thing. I just hope that we just see more progression of what the ultimate um, arc is going to be for, for this season. Um, so I, I hope we get more of that. The other thing, the conversation that the rebel pilots have with him, mm-hmm. at the first on first viewing, I didn't like. I took it to mean, oh, it's a generic like we checked your record kind of thing. But it's it's a callback to the episode where he sprung and then captured or locked up the uh, other. I don't know if they were bounty hunters, but they they were definitely thieves. Um, do you remember the the episode? I think it was like the right before the two part uh, finale. So I think it was episode. Yeah, it was the prison break Six. where he was tricked into yeah. um, releasing one of his old uh, crewmates, but then got caught himself, and then he broke out, and then got Bill Burr and the devil guy <laughs> locked up. So those were the three guards that uh, they were referencing. Yeah. Or the three three fugitives. And then the guard that they referenced was the one the one human guard on that whole ship. I thought he was killed, though, but they kind of make it seem like, oh, you put your life on the line to protect him. So did he survive? No, he was killed, but they said they checked the tapes and saw that he was trying to save him. That's a lot so of stuff. I guess it's a thought that counts type of reward. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see who filed the paperwork for that. And it was like on the side, they're like, yeah, he's a bad guy, but you got to give him a solid for these other two points. You know what I heard too that's interesting is that that guard was the voice of Anakin on the series? Yeah, that was uh uh Matt Lanter. Yeah, I didn't realize that at the time, but um that's a cool ad- addition in there. Yeah, I I definitely I definitely picked up on that the first time um when that when that episode came out. I don't think you had watched Clone Wars at that point. So that's probably <laughs> I didn't bring it up. I think that was it. I watched Clone Wars after season 1 cuz I was in my COVID binging state. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right about tampering our expectations and our theories, because the last thing I want the Mandalorian to become is The Last Jedi, where we created these fan theories of who is Rey, who are her parents, who is Snoke, uh, what's Kylo's deal, like so many questions that we wanted answered. Why is he so shredded? Well, we got to see more of him in Last Jedi. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But we came up with all these expectations, and then when none of them paid off in that movie, that's when that whole trilogy was like, all right, let's write it off. It's it's pointless. Um, So I don't want to do that with Mandalorian, but I I don't know if I can help it if they're going to be showing me showing me Boba and then continuing the second. Uh, chapter 10 as a direct connection timeline wise from chapter nine i expect to see boba interact since he's watching him speed away um so i think part of it is on them and then part of it's on the viewer to you know tamper our expectations i i think the reason why we're clinging on to it so much is because it feels like the beginning of this episode should have been the end of last episode you get what i mean so like this episode Mm -hmm. would have been a fresh start our expectations are are out on terms of that because we're out of Tatooine at this point. I feel like that might have been the better way to kind of put it together. Maybe get rid of the bandit slash bounty hunter scene at the at the end um, or at the beginning 
uh, all together and just pair it up with the first episode. Um, yeah, I agree. It's because of that setup. That that I think that's the only thing that will, the only reason why we're really clinging onto it. Um, because I think in terms of expectations, we can't really hold that much to it because the trailers were just so vague. They were vague, and then we also talked about it before too that we knew there was going to be twists and turns from the trailer. Like they're not going to show you exactly the the direct like interpretation and translation of a scene. They're going to show you bits and pieces and then overlay dialogues from other moments in the series to trick you to you know draw you in. So we both knew there would be twists and turns from there, um, but now we're actually in the series and they're still showing us Boba Fett watching him um, and then calling a seat, uh, calling this episode, the passenger. Um, it's hard not to get your hopes up or to get ideas in your mind that there's going to be the interaction. Yeah. And I think we're, it, it's, it becomes a tricky thing because it's one thing to, I, I guess it depends, right? Like, what are you supposed to know, I guess, up to this point? Because we, we, we knew about Boba Fett for a while um, that he was going to show up in season two, I mean. Um, so I think that there's like a bleed over of like what you know from the production standpoint and what you're expecting for the show. Um, so, but yeah, the, the moment they show Boba, the moment you're like, all right, well, give us the um, give us the cake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think... Um, the only last bit of the episode was the Razor Crest does take off and starts heading towards Trask, um, which Ball I damage. think is also it also is seen in yeah it's on its last half heart of HP. Um, no, I think it's I think this was also seen in the trailer, um, which we kind of connected to expecting that the X wings were gonna blow it up in the way that they showed it in the trailer. So another misdirection in that, but. Um, still connected in the same episode. So we're right so far that the stuff we've seen in the trailer has really just been from two episodes. Um, I think there's like maybe the Navarro stuff. That'll be a totally later episode, but um, we kind of called it that it was from the first two or three episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Which um, I'm kind of happy about because I think that at this point we've seen maybe three quarters of the trailer played out in the, in these last two episodes. Yeah, it leaves a lot of mystery for what's going to happen. Um, I'm still thinking the Navarro stuff is going to be like episode seven or six. Um, but it does it like, yeah, we've seen most of the trailer. So now everything's going to be new. It's going to be fresh eyes. It's going to have no expectations, really, other than what we're building from, you know, from episode one, episode two. I think we are. I think the Navarro stuff is going to be episode. Four. Or you five. think it's sooner? Yeah. So here's here's my quick take on on that. I, I feel like because of the way that the trailers were put together, I really think that the back half of this season, so episodes six through eight, mm-hmm. is going to be entirely stuff we haven't seen or even touched on at this point, either from the trailer or like mentioned in episodes. And the reason why I think that way is because, you know, we know Boba's coming and I think they didn't want to tease anything. He might become more of a prominent role in the back half. And that's don't why do this to me. Anything. No, I can't. I can't hear fan theories about Boba coming back. <laughs> I just got let down hard this episode. <laughs> but hear me out real quick. I just think there's more of um, he's he's going to play a, a role where there's too much 
there was too much footage of the back half that you wouldn't be, like you can't show anything but spoil it if you did like i, I might be reading way too much into it but because there's also rumors of other stuff of other characters coming in but i just think that that's what like i think the back half of the season is going to be distinctly different than what we're used to and that's why we just haven't been shown a lot of it up to this point i can easily see that being one outcome i guess we're actually jumping to predictions but um i also i'm kind of building this expectation um that boba fett's not going to be really featured again until next season and i think what they're doing is just giving us a little taste of him each each season getting his shadow in season one getting to actually see him i think they're building him up to be a bigger either enemy or bigger plot point um for later seasons but there's really no telling. But I do think you're right that I, I, I do think Navarro might actually be sooner than I, I said before. Um, and then have episode seven and eight be like these totally mind blowing, never before seen footage unless they release another trailer with that stuff. Um, but yeah, I think I think we kind of discussed it throughout the this whole thing about the general likes and dislikes. Um, you know, they're they're slowly limping the storyline forward um hopefully they have some bigger plot points coming into into play next episode um or or the next couple but it seems like we're just not progressing as fast as i was hoping we would we're about an hour and a half into actual footage uh through two episodes i don't like that we're losing 10 minutes on this episode i hope that it remains at least 45-ish for the next one. Uh, I would hate to see like a half-hour one with the speed that they're moving at. I want hour-long episodes for this show. <laughs> yeah, I think it needs to be 50 at least um, and for like the first, you know, six episodes and then make the last two like hour and a half ones it, for what they're trying to accomplish and the okay. speed that they're moving in. Yeah, I want that, and I want at the end of every episode to see Boba on a different cliff, just spying on the Mandalorian. <laughs> and they'll just never—they'll continue this for four or five seasons, and just never give us the the just brooding over sunsets. Yeah, yeah. like he doesn't even change his clothes. It's the same thing. Like he's just <laughs> doing the same thing, planet over planet, stalking these guys, until finally the series finale, we get the big confrontation. And he and... like one of the times he's like shaving his eyebrows because they like grew back. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. I feel like that that's what I want to see ultimately. What they are doing though is they're giving us taste of him though. Like I said, they're showing him over a cliff, but then at the beginning of this episode and also in the canteen, they zoom in and like focus the camera on his helmet or on his armor. Um and they're definitely doing that intentionally. That that that's serving as a reminder. Um and either so overtly or you know subconsciously absorbing that so i think they are building him up to be bigger than he is um or bigger than he has been i mean um but yeah i I, i'm also gonna say this too unpopular opinion baby yoda's getting on my nerves (laughs) he's in this like hormonal teenage phase of like disobeying mando's commands he's like eating the cargo that they said they would bring along like these are going to be the last like she, this is the last of her family line that he's eating <laughs> and then he just eats spiders draws out enemies he's refusing to help he's not using his powers um 
he's becoming a liability. I mean, he's a child, right? <laughs> he's fifty years old. <laughs> like, get it together. No, I, he he's going he's going through the terrible twos. <laughs> it, that's he, what it, yeah, I think it is like that. It's like teenager terrible twos. Like he's just discovering the world and his place in it, and he is. I think Mando's given him too much freedom. I don't know. I I've I've liked the I like the personality that they've given him on this. I like the mo- the like little character moments that they gave him and Mando in this. I think it helps to kind of flesh their relationship out a little bit further. Um, I do want to say though that I think this is the most of Baby Yoda that we've seen or the child that we've seen, um, for a while, right? Because I yeah. feel like the yeah. first episode they, they would cut away to him for quick reaction shots and shit, and then pull pull back out. Um, but I think that this is the most that we've ever seen him have any sort of interaction with with Mando that has nothing to do with, you know, a, re- a simple reaction shot or using the Force. Um, so that I liked about this episode, the fact that they kind of fleshed it out a little bit more. Um, but I do, I do think that it just, at the end of the day, it still feels like filler. Yeah, and when you have eight episodes at play, I don't think you necessarily need to play it out that way. I think these moments could have been great to have within an episode that feels a little bit more full. Yeah, we talked about it offline. You know, my take on it is that they're trying to pull off this style of of shooting that's like Westworld kind of perfected in season one and two, um, where it's like we're gonna give you a taste of a plot point and lead and think you like help you th- to think it's leading in this direction. And then we're just going to like totally turn the table and it's going to be a 180. But by the end of the season, it'll all like piece together and make sense to you. But I just don't think they're pulling it off as well. Like introducing Boba or like really making it all about finding Mandalorians. Right they're probably going to do a 180 on that but it just doesn't feel like that that wouldn't be rewarding because it took him 45 minutes this episode and he's no he's not actually not even closer to getting to planet trask than he was at the beginning of the episode and this is also on the whim of trusting the frog that has a husband that saw a mandalore mandalorian on planet trask like this is a very long shot. True. True, but I also feel like when you're... Or I guess we don't really know the extent of how scattered the Mandalorians are. Like, is it something where, like, they they really, really are a rare? But this isn't, this isn't that group that was on Navarro. It, there was, like, a, a very small piece of dialogue um, between, between Peli and and Mando before the frog lady shows up that she described it as one other person in hiding or like one covert Mando, which kind right. of, I think we were talking about it last time. I think it's, um, what's her name? Sabine from Rebels. Sabine. I think it's, I think it might be her. I, I think it definitely is. <laughs> um, I, I think that's what we're, we're, we're getting led into only because like, again, the Dave Filoni tie, of course, if anybody's going to bring that back in, it's, it's got to be him. That and the fact that, like, anytime, and what I meant by like how scattered are they? I mean, like, 
in, in, in Rebels, you get the Mandalorian Civil War arc. And so you get a sense of like, there's some hope that the planet's going to unite and they're going to, you know, find peace somehow. But clearly that wasn't the case. Now, <laughs> you know, years later, Moff Gideon has a Darksaber. It doesn't belong to Bo-Katan anymore. Um, yeah. the, so the, the Mandos aren't on Mandalore anymore. What happened to Mandalore? You know, what happened yeah. to... You know how many groups of these are out there? How many of them are scattered? Just how rare are they? Because if it is one of those things where they really, really are as rare as they claim to be here, then I think anything you would take in terms of being like, oh, I think I saw someone that looked that was wearing Mando armor, you would immediately jump and be like, all right, well, I guess you know it's it's definitely a long shot, but I'll and then it. also like understanding the creed, understanding the religion. Because it seems like he's very strict about keeping his helmet on and his armor on, and so were the the group that he trained with. But from the Clone Wars series, like we talked about last week, they are pretty liberal with taking it off in front of people. I think it might be one of those things where they they, they might have taken it a lot more serious after the dismantling of Mandalore, assuming like something horrible happened. It, it's one of those things where like. And you know, in in olden times, you have uh, groups like uh, I, I, and, and I'm just like kind of going off the rails here a little bit, but like the, there's stories of like samurai clans that would take vows of silence after their leader was killed, and they would never speak again until they tracked down the murderer. It, it gives me that kind of vibe. Like maybe it's something where like it wasn't customary to take off your helmet, but you would kind of practice it, and then after everything kind of went to shit, they were like, all right, well. I think, you know, after everything kind of went to hell, they they said, all right, well, now we're going to adhere to this 100%. Yeah, I think it's something like that. And I think it's also probably a different sect of probably like Death Watch or something like that, which was, um, for anyone who doesn't know, it's the aggressive group um, or the hostile group of Mandalorians from the Clone Wars series. Um but it seems like his group was a little bit more peaceful, so maybe they took certain aspects of Death Watch with them, and then also, you know, amplified it, like like you said. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're kind of we kind of like moved into the prediction stuff uh, a little bit there, which is which is good. I think the only thing that we kind of didn't really talk about is Trask. Um, it's all signs pointing towards being the water world that we saw in the trailer, uh, which we had originally guessed was planet Moncala, um, which probably isn't happening now. Um, but I, I still expect to see Korns, um, which we saw in the trailer, and Mon Calamarians. Uh, it seems like Trask might be a suitable replacement for whatever happened to Moncala. Yeah, maybe like a colony planet of some sort. Yeah. And then the other thing that we saw in the trailer that looked like it was on that water world was the woman in the shadows from the trailer. We had guessed either Jedi or um, just like an informant or something like that. Uh, we weren't really sure. But now, I mean, after seeing the start of this episode and my take on the beginning, I think it. I think she might be a bounty hunter. I'm sticking to, I think it's Sabine. You you think it's been? I it would make yeah. sense because maybe that's who uh, the frog lady's husband saw or knew uh, was there. So 
I could see it going anyway, but I think it is one of those things where the trailer tried to misdirect us. I definitely don't think right. it's a Jedi. No, I, I thought I thought it was a Jedi for sure from the trailer, only because she had the robes on. The robes, right. But then like knowing that Mandos are this the rare and also the, the, the Cyclops uh, in the first episode when he mentioned that you know it's it's so hard like Mandos are hunted nowadays for their shiny shells. Mm-hmm. Then it would make sense for her to be walking around incognito with a robe on versus flat out showing off her Mando armor. <laughs> yeah. Unlike Mando, who polishes his steel. <laughs> <laughs> also, that thing has taken a beating and it still shines really well. Like the w- One thing I did like about this episode, though, is their attention to detail of slowly putting frost onto it. Um, yeah as he remained out in the cold longer. Um, I thought that was a cool little attention to detail. I mean, it would have been easy to just be like, uh, his armor doesn't <laughs> doesn't rust or doesn't whatever. Um, but no, I, I like that, that it showed like how cold it was there. But I think that, I think that wraps it up. Any last thoughts on the episode or, or thoughts for the, for the future? Um, no, just a quick word from our sponsors for this week, audible.com. Um, I love books. I think you love books. I think everybody should love books. So, um, yeah, audible, if y'all out there, um, hit us up. Wait, did they, did they sponsor? I didn't see that email come through. Um, it, no, but you know what? It, it, they could one of these one of these days they can send an email flat right, out. That's a that's an open invitation. Audible, yeah. if you're listening, yeah, yeah. Reach out we love to books. Us. I like books. I like books too, especially some, when um when it's online. Yeah, I you know I I I'm, some might even say I love books. I'm not quite sure where I fit into that. But either way, it's an L word there for for books. So yeah, t- toss over that sponsorship. There we go. <laughs> All right. Um, stay tuned for for our take on chapter 11 next week. Thanks for listening.